Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, and today joining me as guest co-host is Sam Rutherford, Senior Writer. Hey, Sam, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Oh, my gosh. You know, hanging <laughs> it, in there. It's, it's been that kind of week, huh? It has been a week of a week of a week. It's like on yesterday, I was like, wait, it's not already over. It's just midweek. But the reason it's felt like such a week is because we have so many things going on. We've had Microsoft had an event where it unveiled its new Bing, a new Edge. And then Google also had an event in Paris. OnePlus launched a new phone. You're reviewing the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra. A lot of stuff has been happening. There was a state of the union in the United States. A lot is going on. We will be breaking into all of that in this episode. But as always, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe on your podcast catcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. And hey, if you want to have some live Q&A or demo sessions with us, make sure you head on over to the Engadget YouTube channel on Thursdays at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Uh, we live stream the recording of this show there. It's usually a very fun time. And if you were able to today slash in the past, go back to this YouTube channel or YouTube clip of this you'll see some live demos of the new Bing. So it's a fun time. Come hang out. This week, I would say possibly the most interesting event was Microsoft's uh, secret little thing that they decided to throw uh, in Redmond or, or, or uh, Seattle, Washington. And uh, I attended along with our video producer, Brian, or our head of video, actually, Brian O. Um, and it was it was just like the strangest sort of um, sequence of events, right? You, we got like the invite and then no, they would, wouldn't tell us what it was about. And then Google out of nowhere announces the Bard chatbot. And then Microsoft is like, yeah, we're our events about AI too. Yes, <laughs> totally. And then we're like, oh, cool. And then they had Sam Altman tweet out a picture with Satya Nadella and everything. It's like, it's a very strange uh, vibe in in the tech industry right now. You've got like Microsoft and Google feeling like they're squaring off. They're kind of like staring down each other. They're about to enter the ring, or maybe they already have. Um, but yeah, no, Sam. I I mean, I was at the event. There was no actual keynote live streamed um, to to the public, so we had a live blog. Uh, what did you feel about the announcements coming out of Microsoft, like at, from a distance? Because I was there just trying to like write down everything I was hearing as quickly as mm -hmm. I could, so I didn't really parse it a lot during uh, when I was there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is like setting up or I guess renewing the rivalry in terms of like the AI space. Like people have been talking about AI for a long time. And, you know, Google has historically been like the leader in AI. We see this on like the Pixel phones where you have like, you know, a lot of the Google Assistant technology and a lot of like the, 
you know, AI, you know, translation and speech recognition. Um, and so that's really interesting. Um, and so, but now because of like the recent wave of like everyone's talking about ChatGPT, and obviously Microsoft is an investor in OpenAI, which is the creators of ChatGPT. You know, now it's like, hey, my, in some ways, OpenAI kind of took the conversation away from Google, and it's like now, now we're setting up for like, hey, we have Google now has their Bard system, and we have Microsoft partnering with OpenAI and ChatGPT, and so now we have this like, you know really trying to like bolster this thing and you know i've seen some like stories out there talking about how like you know the 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 most important thing you can do in the next 10 years is like learn how to talk to ai and it's like okay that might be overblowing it a little bit but at the same time it's like you know at some point you know being able to use ai to help you in your work is going to be maybe more like using email it's like something you just have to be able to do yeah, it's very weird because like after uh, I came back, so yesterday uh, after I returned from Seattle, on my uh, Reddit probably one of the ads was Mailchimp going, "Oh, Mailchimp's been using AI to write your emails. We can write your we got AI that will write marketing emails for you." I was like, now everyone, literally everyone in the grandmothers is jumping on the AI <laughs> hype train. I really hate it. Um, but I also want to point out that our uh, coworker Carissa Bell um, tweeted. Can you imagine a year ago if someone had said that we'd all be hyped for a Microsoft event about the next version of Bing? Like if if a, if a year ago someone had said that we would all be hyped AF for a Microsoft event about the next version of Bing. And then she says, imagining a Bing exec somewhere deep in a Microsoft office just sobbing uncontrollably right now that Bing is finally getting its moment. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> well, I mean, and you made an interesting point too. It's like, you know, we're we're in some ways, we're like possibly covering something that could make our jobs a little bit less relevant or, you know, Mm -hmm. like kind of depreciate our skills a little bit. And, you know, obviously I'm not as worried because, you know, ChatGPT and Bard, they can't touch devices. They can't use devices in the way that other people do. So I'm not worried about, you know, ChatGPT writing reviews instead of a person. But at the same time, you know, there is a little bit of that and it is going to change how online media will work in the Mm -hmm. near future. And it kind of already is, as we've seen with like, you know, the recent debacle with CNET and their their AI Mm. uh, story writing process. But, you know, I I guess, you know, so you were there. Tell me what you thought about like the the coolest new applications of this this chat GPT integration. Yeah, so we've been talking around the event. I want to tell everyone like what's new, what's different, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. and not only do I have the first look, I also have access to the new Bing. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. So, okay. Really, the best way to think about the news from yesterday is uh, from this week at Microsoft is uh, the new Bing and the new Edge. And we'll start with the new Bing. There are four areas of updates, really. There's search, answers, chat, and create. Search and answers, first of all, in search, you have the new um, homepage for bing.com or bing.com slash new. And when you're you're typing into the search box now, it's A, is bigger. It looks more like a Twitter or Facebook compose a post sort of a box um, where you have like a character count. You can get up to a thousand characters. Um, there's a new prompt at the bottom where it'll suggest things that you can ask that are different. The idea is that like with search, you're thinking about a more conversational approach. You're not just throwing in keywords like a jumble of like words, right? You're not going like uh, symptoms, allergy season. You're not doing that anymore. You're going to be like, is um, is pollen allergy, like or is running nose a symptom of pollen? Like that's more of what Microsoft wants you to think about when you're going to Bing now. Then in terms of answers, I mean, it's also fairly straightforward. Um, 
the layout of the page is slightly different. There are two columns now. You have on the left the standard like results that you would normally get, so that's not going away. But on the right, there is a new box for the AI to kind of show you how it did its homework. So if, for example, and also kind of the answers that you're gonna get from your new sort of search queries that are more conversational, the answers themselves are also gonna be a bit different. So I was pretty impressed by this. One of the demos or the examples they, they shared at the keynote was like, when you're searching for the dimensions of, let's say, a love seat uh, at Ikea, for example, um, you're not necessarily looking to see if it will, uh, like you really want to know how tall it is, right? You're actually looking to see if it'll fit in your home or your car. So Microsoft is all like, uh, now when you ask, now you can just ask is, you know, how my love seat going to fit in my Honda Civic, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, like, it, can, can I, can I can bring ask. it home from the store? Exactly. And then the, the, you feed, you give it the car model, you're like directly just giving it these parameters and you don't have to do the comparison yourself. The, the new being will be smart enough to do the math. It'll pull up the specs or the diamond specs, the dimensions from Ikea. It'll go and go to Honda's website and get the like dimensions for the backseat of the Honda Civic. And it will not only like do the math to tell you if it'll fit, but it can also give you suggestions like, hey, um, it might fit, but you'll have to like put down or fold back the back seats or something. So like... It is smart enough to do that sort of stuff. There's also a bunch of other examples it gave, like, um, oh, uh, Bing, what events are happening around uh, Super Bowl uh, weekend in Scottsdale? And it was like, oh, there's this show, but there's also a Cardi B event the day before. Or like, it's not only looking for the date that it, of the Super Bowl, but it's looking around it as well. So there's a lot of like contextual stuff is pulling, uh, and this is thanks to the new Prometheus model that uh, Google, uh, Google, Microsoft worked together with OpenAI to kind of develop, right? Um, so it's not like the, the chat side of, or the generative side of chat GPT, but it is some of the smarts that it's using for that right. to draw context and stuff and then plugging into the, the answers. Yeah. So, I, I was gonna say, I, I saw in your story how like you were, uh, you made, you made a mention about how like Microsoft showed out how the, the new Bing can kind of, um, like compare financial reports for like, you know, like Gap versus like another clothing company. And that's like something that like we have to do on a regular basis. Like, yeah. oh man, that that would be really cool to have, you know, a little bit more info or just an easier time pulling up relevant financial stats because, you know, sometimes we're like trying to look at company performance. Like then we have to go and find a whole bunch of different sources. And if like, you know, if we can do that for me with less uh, like fewer search queries, then that would be like a legitimately like helpful feature. Yeah, that was in the edge portion of my coverage. Oh, but you sorry. Can, yeah, I think yeah. do that. No, but you can definitely do that with like Bing, just to pull up the results and have it like summarize. But the but the part where it's sort of like looking at a document and parsing for you, that's happening in Edge, I believe. But we can get to that. The next two parts of the new Bing, and I'm going to try to blaze through them, even though they're the most interesting, um, is is chat, right? Chat, basically, when you search, uh, when you hit uh, your search query, you submit it and you get that page of two columns of answers or whatever, you can also scroll up or hit the chat button uh, at the top to get the chatbot interface. This is more like you're talking to someone on Messenger or whatever, and um, it'll first generate the answers you were looking for, but then you can follow up with like without having to repeat your contextual things. So like, for example, one of the demo queries, they, they or one of the queries they suggest that we try was like, oh, uh, come up with a 30-minute workout plan for arms and abs without gym equipment or something, right? So I, I, in my own time, I followed up with how about an hour? Like just the words, how about an hour? And like the Bing chat interface was smart enough to like, 
here's what you can do to extend it to an hour. Add more exercises. Oh, that's cool. Give you more exercise. Yeah. Or it can be like, it was also like, you can also repeat it. You can also just do it twice and then you get an hour. So it's like, it's really, it's smart enough to A, not need the context. B, do the math and very quickly do all of that too. Like it was yeah, fast. Yeah. And, and that, that's something so, like Google has like talked about before, um, obviously different company, but you know, I talk about like making AI more, more natural in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to treat it like a computer. You can talk to it more like a person and get more relevant responses back. And I think yeah. that's something that like would benefit everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think Google has been talking about making Google wants people to think of its search engine as the answer to your questions, the world's questions. Right. And it's wanted you to think of and that's why it's used the 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 hot words to trigger its speakers the same way. It's not saying it's not giving its assistant a name. Right. Because they want it. They want the company wants you to think of the company, the word Google as the answers to everything. So it's but it feels like Microsoft is getting closer to doing it than Google is right now with this chat interface. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, Michael Brescher in the chat asked a very good question, which is that like, I wonder if y'all would possibly switch to Edge or Bing personally. I'm like, you know, I'm very fascinated by it right now. I'm still in the midst of testing it. So I have been prioritizing using Bing and Edge. But am I going to switch? We'll put a pin in that question because I want to come back to it. Um, but mm. the, my early answer is no. My early answer is no. I'll tell you why. Um, the last part of the Bing, the new Bing is create. And this is where chat GPT's like real powers are really shining through here. So when I said just now, right, like ask um, the new Bing chat interface to generate a workout for me. The fact that it can generate a workout pulling from various sources, pulling from like um, and citing its sources along the way and then like understanding your parameters and actually meeting all of them. The fact that it can do that is what makes this like that AI co-pilot that Microsoft was talking about here. So I said just now, right, um, a workout for arms and abs without uh, gym equipment and then like in 30 minutes for a 30 minute long thing. And it's actually not just replicating an article that's already on the web. It is doing the thinking for you, it's doing the research for you, it's putting the exercises together. It said do three sets of 10 of sit uh, a plank or whatever. Um, I mean, not plank, but uh, bicep curls or whatever, right? So it's like, I, I mean, I... I haven't played with chat GPT as much, but this is this is not your standard like tech support chat bot. This is something else entirely. And I, I mean, I can go into detail about the interface and stuff, but I, I think you can get the detail from reading the hands-on uh, or watching the video on Engadget.com. But yeah, so far, I mean, the new Bing with all of these things seems very powerful. Um, Sam, are you keen to try any of these new features out? Between this and some of the creator studio, uh, studio stuff that um, Microsoft is doing with Dolly in terms of like making AI generative art, I'm like I'm I'm getting more more interested in. And I was just thinking like you know you were asking the question like oh are you gonna switch to Bing or Edge and it's like mm-hmm. not full time but maybe now I'm gonna put it on my taskbar so that it's right. I have. And so, uh, you know, I, I use Bing every once in a while for work stuff. And so it's like, hey, you know, if I can switch to Bing because, you know, it does better for pulling up some sourcing or for some for information, it's like, hey, it's it's just another resource. And I think that's actually kind of useful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like the other examples that were given were like uh, coming up with the itinerary. Um, also, you can also just tell the chat like, hey, uh, come up with dinner ideas. I only have uh, spinach, tofu, and like breadcrumbs left. And it'll actually just find you recipes that will make use of those three. And like, it's, I mean, just so many ways to think about 
interacting with Bing now, I I am going to do what you said, which is to make it more of a alternative to Google than it was before, right? It's I I will not resort to using Bing as the new verb for searching. Like, let me Google <laughs> that for you. Let me Bing that for you. I, st- I mean, I still kinda... don't. I still don't understand. Agree with that Bing choice naming. Uh, I it's, it it, it, it has sit sat wrong with me for years. Um, but okay. I mean, it's too late to change it now, I guess. Well, do you like the name Edge for a browser? Not really. Okay, well, <laughs> that's what we have. Uh, the new Edge actually is fairly similar uh, in the sense that what it is is you've just got the new Bing sort of integrated into the window. So you, I had to d- download this through the developer channel, but I'm also whitelisted, so the features are live for my account. Um, and, and the new Bing's features, I have been reading in some places that you can you need to use Edge to be able to access the new Bing, which is mm-hmm. an interesting choice. Um, but I'm I'm... Conf- I, I feel confident that that approach will uh, change over time. Like I think this is just for the demo or the preview. I'm sure over time, Chrome users can still go to the new Bing. Um, but anyway, for now in the in Edge, when you click a, a B sort of shape in the top right, it'll pull out the chat window, but you also have options to switch over to a compose window. The chat window is really where, like you said earlier, Sam, where like I can get Bing's help on documents that I'm viewing or websites that I'm browsing. Mm-hmm. So like the Gap Financials page, I could say parse this for me or summarize this document for me. And like that's super cool. Like, and you can use it on um your uh, Office 365, your online Word documments as well. Right. So it's, and, it's, it's almost it almost seems like you have Cliff Notes for like everything yeah. now, uh, which is it's like actually just, which is super helpful. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what it is. I mean, I again, I feel like I've only barely scratched the surface of what's possible here. Like the only demo I've really done is to like yeah summarize the financial team, which when I had to cover Apple's earnings would have been very helpful. Like give me the key financial highlights, then mm-hmm, I would see, mm-hmm. and then you can like just ask it to do for you compared to last year's and then it'll show you those results, right? Like I don't need to go and pull up another PDF and then switch tabs back and forth. You you can ask it to create a table to compare the numbers. Right. It, it, it's companies. streamlining the process of gathering information, which I think is something that a lot of us struggle with us at least you know in the in the you know being reporting or journalism industry or or you're comparing like pet vacuums to buy you're comparing like what you know your next car purchase should be it, it just so far feels very smart now the last part uh, that i want to talk about today anyway is the compose page in the edge uh sort of bing window you can use um the compose page to come up with emails posts and that sort of stuff, Um, which is, again, I think what ChatGPT has generally been used for. So this will be familiar to anyone that's, I guess, tried ChatGPT. The main difference here is built into your browser and you don't need to wait around to get a chance to shoot a query into ChatGPT. This is the new Bing. So it says like, oh, um, tell me what you want to write about. So you have like a box of, I want to say a few hundred characters of space to tell it what you want to write. And the demo that like the the example we used was like oh convince my coworker to come on this work trip with me you can choose the tone which is funny professional uh for, uh enthusiastic or um some other two other options i'm not remembering sure, right sure. now sure what, what, what's what's the tone that you would pick for your style i chose funny and it did sound a little <laughs> bit more like me okay okay um, <laughs> i would never use professional i don't think that that's my style but you can go with enthusiastic informational casual or funny as well you can choose what 
thing you're trying to write. So it's an email, a blog post, a paragraph, or a list of ideas. And then you can also choose from lengths. So short, medium, or long. Now we picked medium at first. And I will say like with medium, you get a lot more filler content. Like in the length of a medium email was like six paragraphs long. Three of those paragraphs were like, here are some sites in Microsoft, uh, in Seattle. There is the, don't know, whatever I, there's the Snoqualmie Falls. Here's all the things we can do. Like a lot of felt like just not, I mean, it is relevant content, but not stuff that I would necessarily include. Um, so I didn't hit long to see what else it would add to pad that out. But then I went back to short and it felt more concise. So I, I don't know. I am, I am in awe because I think partly because I haven't spent that much time with chat GPT. So I can't, this is kind of fresh to me. Um, have you spent any time with chat GPT at all? Um, a little bit. It's it's one of those things that's like I'm interested in, but it's like it's hard for us to use because like, you know, we can't really use it for our writing because that's just not something that like, you know, it's not very ethical of us. But, you know, it's so I'm, I, I'm like trying to find places where like I would want it to generate reports that would right. be useful to me. And so it's like I, I see the value in it, but it's like I, I need I need a little bit more from it. If, if yeah. that's you know, you know what I mean? I, I think I hear you in the sense that like, I, I mean, I, in my video for this, for the hands-on, I said, I'm the sort of person that takes delight in crafting. Even my invitation to my birthday party last year was extremely long, full of like personal anecdotes and jokes and that sort of thing. That's my thing. I was going to say, you, you, you're, you've become well known for your out of office emails where, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll have other people write to me when you're off. It's like, oh, Sherlyn's out of office email is really funny. It's like, okay, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I get, yeah, people like to, re like, they'll get my out of office email, then they'll reply, I love that. I'm like, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> right, it's back, like, uh, cool. that's, that, that's the thing to let you know I'm not here. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I love to write. So I think that that's, that's not going to be super useful to me. But I mean, if you are tuning in, watching or listening to this now, and you can see yourself using this feature of the new Edge um, to create something, to write something for you. Let us know what you would want it to do. Like, I just have no real understanding right now of like what people would like. So send us an email, podcast at Engadget.com or, or leave us a comment in the chat if you're watching. Uh, so yeah, no, overall though, I think it, one last thing I do want to point out before wrapping up on Microsoft is that they, you know, spent some time talking about responsible AI and being ethical about AI design. And I think it's important to have these conversations and thoughts. Um, Sam Altman was at the event as well. Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, um, you know, reiterated and reemphasized several times that like together with Microsoft, they're both partners, both companies are con constantly thinking about the ethics here. One, we had, a, I think one of the demos or one of the panels after the actual keynote, um, there was a panel on responsible AI. And they, I, I can't remember if it was at this panel or it was like in a Q&A session during the keynote where someone, the responsible AI lead at Microsoft brought up a point where like, we want to be very careful about how this is being used. We don't want the new Bing to be, we want to be able to identify when someone is using it for nefarious purposes, for example, planning a shootout, planning something, planning some kind of criminal activity. And, and they went as far as to use the words like, for example, at a school, right? And it, that immediately sends warning signals everywhere. We're like, whoa, 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 what? Like, you, we, you didn't think about this. Like, we don't think about this until we're like, oh, right, nefarious purposes. Right. Um, and Microsoft is aware, at least, right? And I, I think that that's, that's a good point because, like, you know, for a long time, like, people were just trying to, hey, hey, let's try to make this thing work. 
And now right, we're kind of right. at the stage where we're have to, we're, you know, it's we're trying to refine these things in order to be able to use them responsibly because, you know, there's there's the idea of the technology and then there's how it actually gets used in the real world. And that is those are two di- very different things. Yeah. So I don't think that Microsoft had any very like good answers for how like but they, in that example they mentioned they said that their their systems would be aware they're constantly training the systems to be aware of these situations and to flag. It's not clear yet what the action taken would be if it did identify one of these uh searches was happening. Um but basically they don't want their version of Bing or ChatGPT or whatever AI they're coming up with being used for these purposes. It's it's really worth pausing to think about and I think we're going to see more of these conversations. Um, I'm sure a lot of reporters are already furiously writing stories and articles about it. So um, I'll, I will keep an eye out as well. Let's move on to Google, which also had an event, but I don't want to spend too long because this was basically Google's search on event that it does usually in the middle of the year, every year, but this time around it did it in Paris in February. Um, before its event, though, uh, Google unveiled, like two days before the Paris event, it was like, oh, by the way, uh, our, our we are also making an AI chatbot. It's called Bard. Uh, it's going to use Lambda 2. Um, but then, very quickly after... Uh, it was revealed that the Bard chatbot was confidently spouting misinformation. Uh, of course, and it, uh, it mean, was like amazing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, it's like of, of, of course, uh, you know, you you think these things are like you know, we're still very much in development, and these like these AIs aren't even like toddler level AI yet, right? So it's like you know they're they're going to be saying stuff, and you, you got to watch out. It just like you know really reminds you. It's like hey, you know, let's let's just take a step back. They're still working on this. And I think this kind of points to a little bit of how Google was actually caught off guard by the introduction of ChatGPT. And they're kind of on the back foot, which feels weird for Google, but they're kind of yeah. on the back foot when it comes to, hey, we, we need a rival out that people, you know, that, that there, there's an alternative to ChatGPT. And so that's what BARD is supposed to be, but it's obviously still very much a work in progress. It's it's so funny to me because it felt like Google was being very reactive in this whole debacle where we know we know Lambda 2 has been around. We know that uh, at Google I.O. last year, Google even had uh, demoed its app where it's allowing people to test out Lambda 2. It's I forget the name of the app, but some kind of kitchen, AI kitchen or something. Um, so it was it was there. It did like stake a, a like a flag or something. But then, you know, this week it was. I don't know, reacting to things. Um, and so what happened here uh, to give people the rundown of events is that, for yeah, Google announced a bar chatbot and then made, posted an advertisement, I think, to Twitter, uh, which is, uh, and, and the ad itself was a short GIF I know y'all say a GIF, but I say GIF. Um, an example of a Q&A with Bard, right? And so the question that the user asked was, what new discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? The response from Bard was three ideas. Um, and the last of these ideas says, JWST took the very first pictures of a planet outside of our own solar system. These distant worlds are called exoplanets. Exo means from outside. So, you know, that's not true. But JWST didn't take the very first pictures of exoplanets. Uh, the European Southern Observatory's Very Large Telescope, or VLT, was the first to do that in 2004. So there we go. Like, you would think Google has all of the information. But mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Bard just doesn't have access to it, maybe? That was kind of funny, right? 
Right. I mean, speaking, I mean, we were just talking about the the whole like dangers of AI. We just didn't realize how kind of bad it can be. Um, and we did see, right? Chat GPT was was like what plagiarizing or like also misquoting a lot of things when in its earlier days. So this seems like some of the earlier um, problems we're going to face with AI. But yeah, and, and, I mean, in general, like, you know, relatively innocuous flub, but, you know, it really actually puts more pressure on fact checking even more because you can't just take what these AIs are saying for granted. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's very important to be like, hey, there's still a balance. You can't switch to AI, you know, derived sourcing for everything just yet. Which is kind of sad because like then if I'm still going to have to like fact check your work, why am I doing double like it's double work almost, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I think eventually we'll reach the point where like I guess we trust it as much as we trust the Google search results um, that we do right now. But um, so that was just some of the like bar news this week. But at its event in Paris, Google did announce some news that I'm just going to like kind of blaze through right now uh google maps search with live view is coming to barcelona dublin and madrid um the maps immersive view is rolling out in five cities and that's pretty much it i mean this is your typical sort of like search and map focused events except because it's not the typical time of year that they tend to do this this felt more like a region specific set of updates it was here are some european only updates coming to maps and live view so I felt kind of meh, Sam. I don't know if you were paying attention to this. I was traveling while the event happened. Yeah, this is kind of an update because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the immersive view stuff was announced at Google I.O. last year. Yes. And so this is just like, hey, you know, we're still working on it. We're rolling it out to more cities, which is cool because I think, you know, we've had it in New York City for a little while. So it's cool to have that, um, you know, be available in more in more cities. But, you know, not, you know, this is not a game changing update. It's kind of a helpful update to let you know, hey, here's how pro uh, progression and development is going. Yeah, so it was good to see, but again, it didn't feel like Google actually had any real AI news to share. It was just kind of pulling the trigger on something that it was not ready to fully unveil yet. So uh, I'm sure we'll learn more probably at Google I.O. this year, which typically happens early May. So we'll be covering it, that's for sure. You can come back to Engadget to learn more. <laughs> So aside from all of that AI conversation and chatter and a lot of news out there, we also had some phone news. And here to join us to talk about some of these phones and gadgets is Engadget's UK Bureau Chief, Matt Smith. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining us. Hey, Geraldine, thanks for having me again. How are you doing? <sighs> you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. Every time. Matt, you review the OnePlus 11 for us um, and what the phone was launched this week. So... I mean, that's that's not the only device that was uh, launched this week from OnePlus, but we'll get into the other stuff later on. Talk, tell me a, lo a little bit about this phone and like, what do you think the general expectation was for this? Yeah, so, you know, OnePlus kind of ebbs and flows over the years. It kind mm -hmm. of like, it landed with a bang, kind of offering decent specs on an Android phone, kind of delivering on a price promise. And then that kind of faded away as more phones came in and just, you know, the pace of innovation, smartphones kind of sped up and it kind of got ahead of OnePlus. This one's more oneplus -y than the last couple of years, if that's the way to put it. You have like proper high-end specs mar married with a decent price tag. Uh, it's really weirdly priced about $699 in the US. So that puts it more expensive than like a Pixel A series but cheaper than Samsung's cheapest Galaxy S. It's almost it's almost like Pixel 7 pricing, right? 
Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's probably the best comparison to make. To be honest, well, mm. maybe maybe I should have thought of that. But um, yeah, that's where it's landing. So it's quite intriguing. It's still got a huge screen. The cameras are like you know dipping into my review. The cameras are better. The battery life is really good, um, which is something I think Sam saw on the S twenty three Ultra as well. Um, yeah, it's better in all ways, but it is a bit boring. Yeah, Sam, I know you have feels about OnePlus, just like conf- general confusion and disappointment <laughs> in them as a company. What do yeah. you think here? No, and I think Matt Matt put it really well. Where it's like One OnePlus, like they kind of ebb and flow. Where like their strategies, like sometimes they're like, oh, let's do the the fancy super premium flagship thing, and then the next year is like, oh, we're not doing that anymore. And I thought like your your the headline for your review, like back to basics, is like which was actually like really spot on, because you know this thing's cheaper than the OnePlus uh, Ten Pro last year. Um, but it also kind of steps back some features. Like there's no wireless charging, even though that's something that was on the OnePlus 10. Huh. And so like that, yeah. that's like a weird, like omissions, like, you know, one year you have wireless charging one year you don't. And it's like, it, it's a little, it, it gets a little confusing from like looking at a company like strategy. But if you're talking about like getting back to basics, that's exactly what it is. You know, big screen, big processor, um, you know, great performance and not a lot of frills, and you know, for the price, I'm I'm more okay with it um, than you know if they were going to continue charging like nine hundred dollars for this thing. Yeah, yeah, I think the price really makes it better in so many ways. The price they've given to Definitely. it, otherwise it was going to be a bit boring. But it's like like Sam said, it's cheaper than last year's Ten Pro, and that's another thing to address: the fact that there was never a OnePlus Ten last year, and there's not at least as much as OnePlus is saying going to be an Eleven Pro this year. So the, right. this is just the OnePlus main phone, which I think is a, a nice way to clarify. And you can't really be calling it a pro if there are drawbacks or, you know, corners cut to like yeah. land at that price. I, that's what I was going to ask you, Matt, which is that like, what, does it sound to you like they're not releasing a pro model this year that has some like meteor upgrades? This this is their pro one, yeah. That's it, as right? As far as it stands, yeah. Um, Interesting so choice. Yeah, yeah like- right. I mean, the specs are flagshipy enough um like sam said there's no wireless charging but it does have a hundred watt charging um which is incredible yeah oh how long God. does it take it's you to charge your phone yeah this phone like to, i don't know 15 minutes to get 50 percent back like like obviously that's when it's at its lowest ebb and it kind of slows down as the the battery fills because physics or something but mm-hmm. oh it is so good i'm just like leaving that charger in and just the only problem with that kind of innovation is you need that phone that charger and that cable to make it work sure they box in the charger but oh if only like all USB-C cables worked or any charger that had 100 watts but I understand like the proprietary stuff is more for safety and making sure your phone doesn't explode um but yeah that, that is a really cool feature that even like that even beasts you know the most expensive Galaxy S phone do you like, like uh do you so like much the cameras faster. the cameras here? Yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I wanted to ask you about that because this is like what the third year or like two and a half years in with the whole Hasselblad partnership. Yeah, it really hasn't changed much. They've made like some weird choices. Like I'm sure they had their reasons for them, but um so when it comes to like the telephoto, which I think is the main thing where you're discriminating now between most phones, the telephoto went from an eight megapixel sensor that could reach 3.3 times optical. Up in resolution to a 32 megapixel telephoto, but only topping out at two times zoom. And it's like, what is that like a maths problem? It's just like algebra. <laughs> like, 
Right, you, Which you, one you exactly have more, more pixels so you can crop in more, but the zoom, exactly. the zoom is less, so it's like, okay, that... Yeah, but then you're just, you're just doing manual digital zoom yourself in a way, aren't you? Right. Um, I think it's better, which is presumably what OnePlus wanted to see, in that you just have a bigger, better sensor. Mm. So yeah, you're cropping, but like colours are more accurate, detail should be better replicated. It should just be able to take in more detail. Um, I'm still oddly obsessed, and I know this is really shallow, but these Hasselblad filters, they just... If you check my review, I've got this picture of a, a motion-blurred uh, tube train going past, but it just makes some of these photos look so much nicer than they have any right to. Um, I mean... And I know it's such a hollow thing, these filters, but sometimes if you nail the filter, no, you're nailing your th- I mean, that, that makes tons of sense. I think the Fujifilm cameras, their digital cameras, have, you know, they have mm. their, like, old film grain... Um, filters and I think you know that is one of the things that like really kind of ties back to like you know more old school photography so I, I get that definitely I, I I I yeah for me it looks like the differentiation here if you're looking at $700 Android phones if you go with a pixel you're choosing the pixel UI you're choosing cameras as your priority whereas if you go to OnePlus I'm I remember you know the the UI on, on OnePlus phones tends to be clean the cameras are not as good as a Pixel or even a Samsung Galaxy S23 at that price um but you're getting an incredible battery life and fast charging right it seems like that's what your priority yeah, would be I think those are the major ones and I think those are core core tenets that people look for in their phone you know they want a fast processor that's going to keep going in a few years and they want a battery that lasts a day plus or a day at like a festival where you're using mm-hmm. maps and using the camera a lot. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to like cast away all kinds of phone features for like five more hours battery life for sure. So you're saying there's nothing on this phone that like you hate it, that really got in your way of like... No, but I, I, like, you, you you know, we were on emails and I was definitely yeah. like dreading reviewing this phone. I was just like, <laughs> it's so... A little meh. behind the scenes for everyone listening yeah, or tuning yeah. in. Like me, me and Sam were like, who's going to review this phone? Me, Sam and Matt were like, mm, which of the three of us are doing this? We're like, ah, you! Have to sit through this. Yeah. And that, that that's like a that's like a fair point because like that, that those are always the hardest reviews to write where a, like a product is decent but there's no like spectacular features to really get yeah. excited about. And like when it's a bad device or anything, any kind of bad review is actually really fun, fun. to write yeah, and yeah. just take something to task. And then when it's amazing, you're impressed and amazed by it. So with the with the OnePlus Eleven, like this hundred watt fast charge is amazing. I can't wait for it to get to. Other phones. I'm not sure if it's in your laundry list of stories for later in this episode, but the Realme phone has now Realme, which is a subsidiary of a Chinese phone company. I forgot. Um, they've announced a phone with 240 watts. So I <laughs> oh, think wow. within wow. two, it's like that makes me uncomfortable. Minutes, makes me uncomfortable. You get 25%. Or, like it's absolutely something even more disgusting, uh, a speed of charging thing. But yeah, this is like, I, I, you know, I care more about that than I do about wireless charging. Um. We're, we're going to move on to the rest of what OnePlus announced here because this is already a very packed episode. So, hey, we saw that OnePlus also what launched its very first tablet. Uh, yeah. I don't know if... Yeah, Matt, do you know what the, the tablet's, like, uh, standout features are? Uh, it's just got an odd aspect ratio, 7 by 5, which I've never heard of, really. Yeah, that's Anyone? that's weird. I mean, like, yeah, 4 by 3 is, like, kind of standard and 3... Yeah, yeah. but, yeah, that's just weird. It's a That's very a weird. So it's 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 squarish. So I guess it's more like a PC monitor or something. Is maybe what they're going for. Um, but yeah, like a really zippy eleven point six inch display. So more somewhere between mini and an iPad size wise. Um, one hundred forty four hertz refresh rates, 
Um, but yeah, it's it's an Android tablet. You know, yeah. we don't see them that often. So now it's always interesting when someone does it. It's got a MediaTek chip in it. Ew. Hold, yeah. Well, you know, some people have got to do these things. Uh, like just under ten thousand milliamp hour battery. Mm. It's this, I would say a MediaTek chip is like a choice for OnePlus, right? Because they've been like, oh, flagship specs, flagship processor, flagship power above everything, and then they went with a MediaTek chip for their yeah. But debut. I don't. I don't think they'll say that in the, t- the pad. Yeah, I wonder if this is aimed more at the Indian markets or other other countries outside of like Western Europe and the US. Um, do we know? Do but we know I, it's selling. Yeah. Well, I know that they're going to be showing it off properly at MWC. Okay. Um, All right. So that's probably when we'll get prices or availability. But yeah, it's I don't know. Like I I always feel like Android tablets they never quite found where they were meant to land or meant to exist. Yeah, it's kind of curious, like, why after all this time, OnePlus is like, oh, we're going to make a tablet now? It's like, oh, okay. I mean, on, on one hand, I kind of get the media check tip, uh, the, 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 sorry, the media tech chip, because, you know, for a long time, like, media tech didn't have the greatest um, 5G support, especially in the U.S., and, um, you know, their camera uh, capabilities wasn't quite as high as, like, the Qualcomm chips. But on a tablet, you don't care as much about camera quality. And, you know, 5G is nice, but, like, you know, you're still, like, not going to be using that all the time. So if you really just want, you know, something to power a tablet, you know, as long as the price makes sense, I think, you know, really, it's going to really hinge on that price. And we still don't know that yet, right? So that's, that's no, a big question. I, 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 like, judging by those specs, though, I'd assume... Um I don't think we know resolution either, and that would be the cost, really, uh, the resolution okay. of that screen. So we don't really know. But uh, one thing I do want to add, um, they also announced some new kind of pro-level buds, the OnePlus Buds Pro 2, if I put those words in the right order. I think I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they yes. come in the tiniest little charging case. They're quite cute. I haven't actually used them for an extended period. I tried to find them just now, and that box has gone missing. How um, tiny <laughs> are we talking? Because how, how much like, tinier can these things get? <laughs> but like that's the thing. Like... I, you know, you've seen uh, like AirPod cases. They're quite. It's quite a chunky case for tiny pod, bon, uh, tiny pods. But yeah, the the OnePlus one is. It looks like um, a little tiny box of like mints that your grandpa used to have. It's absolutely tiny. So that's intriguing. Uh, they've got uh, active noise cancellation, and they're priced cheaper than even like the Pixel Buds Pro. So wow. you're getting relatively cheap active noise cancellation from OnePlus. And then the other reveal, because buds are much of a muchness these days, but OnePlus also revealed they're going to launch a keyboard. A keyboard? <laughs> no, yeah, I did not. Keyboard. Ooh. Um, with like little like OnePlusy flourishes, like you know red accents and like something that looks like the alert slider, but is not the alert Interesting. slider. Interesting. Do we have details? They're working like... with Keychron. Okay. So, oh. A proper keyboard maker, and that's another MWC thing. Oh, and one final, because this is just the OnePlus News Blast at the moment. Yes, go One on. final thing they also said. They have this, remember how we were saying there's not really a pro phone? Well, they do have this device they're calling the OnePlus 11 concept. And apart from saying it has, quote unquote, imaginative design and, quote unquote, industry first features, that's all we know. Mm. <sighs> They always do this, right? Like, I feel like OnePlus has done concept phones before. They're not the only ones. And it feels also like this is um, after they merged back with their parent company. Was it Oppo? It feels like a very Oppo thing to, to do these concept phones. I do. Whatever. I'm wondering if it's going to be affordable because Oppo, only a couple of months ago, they announced they had like a the, the Find N2 and the Find mm-hmm. N2 Flip. So like they're equivalent of Samsung's foldable phones. So I doubt OnePlus would make a foldable immediately after those. Right. But they would have, and, then, and then, 
the, it, it, it feels like it's on the roadmap, right? It feels like this yeah. branching out into so many product categories is a result of new parent company sort of direction things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, do, do you remember last year when, when OnePlus was like teasing, like they were like making Ting Pak shots at Samsung for like their foldable thing. And they're like, oh, we, we have like something to compete with Samsung. And then they released a, a picture on Twitter that was two OnePlus phones with a hinge on it. Ugh. And it was like, oh, yeah. okay. So yeah, I, I feel like bad. OnePlus is like kind of having like an identity crisis as part of like mm-hmm. being reabsorbed back into Oppo. It's like, you know, they, they you know, they, they do these cycles. It's like, you know, there was that OnePlus McLaren and that concept one at CES mm-hmm. a few years ago. And then like now it yeah, feels like we're yeah. coming back to that. And then like on the other hand, we have that keyboard, which is like OnePlus is like originally was like devices for like geeks and enthusiasts who like, you know, want a good value. And so that keyboard almost feels like it's catering to that crowd. But they left that crowd behind a long time ago, and now they're like trying to get back into it. So it's, just, it's very it's funny con- you mentioned that as well, like catering to the crowd, because this is this phone also marks the return. Apart from the ten T, but we'll ignore that. Like this is the return of the alert slider mm-hmm. yeah. on their mm-hmm. flagship phones, and I could not care <laughs> less about the alert slider. I mean, I like it. I I don't mind using just the software, but I like I like the convenience of the hardware. How switch. many How many times are you going to switch it? What, what I, grown I do up it. in twenty twenty three is constantly switching between silent and you know. I'm not constantly switching, but it's nice to like just be able to do it from the phone. Because on the I, iPhone, I just feel it's, it's, it's one of those things. Be like, shouldn't even be talking about. They should have just kept it the whole time. One plus yeah, exactly. phones have an alert slider, and that's what it has. And then we we can talk about other more interesting stuff. Speaking of the, the the fans from the past, dude named Charlie in the chat says that they didn't really like they really didn't like the 6T, 7T, and the McLaren. The cameras were not decent. The software is not even close to even Samsung, which that is a burn. That is a deep burn. Uh, so, geez, I mean, it sounds like dude named Charlie was a big fan, and then now you know they've driven. The, the core fans, it seems, away. Or at least kept them at arm's length, right, with this. And they're now trying to court them back. We'll see. We'll see what OnePlus uh, does. Obviously, it sounds like we're going to get more um, information from MWC, which is happening in, what, something like a couple of weeks. So I guess we're back in tech season. Uh, speaking of, hey, Sam. How's, hey, your, how's, your, how's your review of the, of the Galaxy S23 Ultra going? Yeah, so, uh, you know, our, our review for the S23 Ultra is live. Uh, you know, go check it out on Engadget.com. You know, we got a, we got yeah. a written review and a video review. So, you know, there's lots of Lovely. options for you. And it's weird because this phone just feels like the S22 Ultra Part 2. It's the same design, same screen, you know, new chip, which is great and it's super fast. But once again, like, you know, I've said this before, you, no one's really maxing out performance on a phone. There aren't that many apps that, like, really bring a phone to its knees. So having greater performance on benchmarks is lovely and the phone feels super smooth and fluid and it's lovely. And so the main, the main upgrades are a new chip that, you know, you get questionable value out of and a new 200 megapixel sensor, which I really like, but at Mm -hmm. the same time you have to work to really get the most value out of that because by default, you know, you get 200 megapixels and it gets pixel bin 16 to 1 down to 12 megapixels. Um, and so, you know, you get more light and low light situations like that. But, you know, Samsung's night mode still not quite as good as Google Night Sight. And, um, you know, for stuff like the expert raw mode and like the astrophotography mode, you really have to be like a big time camera enthusiast to like really get excited about these features. Because unless you're taking your photos into like, you know, Lightroom or Photoshop and editing them, you're not always getting the best results. I, you know, personally, I found that in bright daylight situations, that full 200 megapixel resolution, great. 
but you know, in in low light and other stuff, just leave it on the regular 12 megapixel mode, and you're gonna have a much greater results. Um, you you really have to like make sure that the conditions are right. You know, your settings are right, and you know if you're going in there and you're the type of person who plays like ISO, shutter speed, exposure compensation, expert raw mode, and that 200 megapixel camera, that's great for you. But for most people, you know, you're gonna leave it on that default mode, and you're just gonna forget about it, and you're not really gonna think about it too much. And it's kind of the same thing for a video where, hey, we can do 8K 30fps video now, which is great. But honestly, who's who's taking 8K videos? Who has a display that can watch 8K videos? Not Hongjin. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're either cropping down because you're you want to make 4K content or stuff like that, which you know is handy. But like once again, you're you're, you're like getting to like the more technical aspects of the phone, and so you know there's better OIS, which is great, and that's good for everybody, and I love that. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, similar phone to the S22 uh, Ultra, but a couple nice new upgrades, still expensive, and we still got the S Pen, but no new features. So, you know, it's it's I mean, kind of it's it's a known quantity in this, in some ways. I, I I have two questions about the the new features part, but I want to do I do want to point out that uh, Michael Brescher in the chat says Samsung is entering their S year with the S23 Ultra, which is totally, like yeah, hundred percent. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to what you said, no new features. So uh, it does seem like a lot of the the hardware is remarkably similar to last year. But they did. I did spend a lot of time doing my hands on playing with the uh, One UI 5.1 updates. I don't know if you've used them a lot. Do you like them at all? They're nice, but it's like they're not, you know, we've seen them before in Android 13, the Material U with the, you know, improved color palettes for the UI. You can choose more accent colors and, you know, change your icons to match everything. Um Okay, sure. And then, you know, you can have, like, it's easier to, like, clip your face and send it to people. But, like, it's still a Hell tiny yes. bit. Yeah, this is, this is right up your alley, Sheridan. <laughs> but it's, like, it's still kind of bit a little janky. You know, faces generally work pretty good. But, like, I was, like, trying to clip flowers. Not super successful. It would, like, get part of the pot. And, like, you know, it's just it's a little awkward. And then, like, you know, the home screen customization stuff is nice. But, like, you know, you're going to play around with that. Like, the first time you set up the phone, you're going to spend, like, a day or two, like, you know, setting everything how you like it and you're probably not going to change it again so it's like how much you know is that really a reason to buy a phone probably not and especially because one ui 5.1 is going to get rolled down to the other devices so like this is one of those times where it's like hey if you have an s22 ultra this is not the year to upgrade um yeah if you have an older phone yeah then then you then we can think then we can think about it but um yeah that that's kind of yeah. how, how i'm feeling the and that's the snapdragon 8 gen 2 for galaxy Pair with that five thousand milliamp hour battery. Does that result in a lot of battery life, like a lot more battery life than before? Uh, so we saw about you know two two and a half hour increase from the previous model. So there there definitely is some energy efficiency improvements on that side, which is nice. But you know, unlike the smaller S twenty three models, we didn't get a bigger battery. Um, so we're just relying mostly on power efficiency improvements year over year based on the new chip. One last question for you on this because I haven't even read your review. Um, before I ask Matt what he thinks, <laughs> <laughs> how did the how did the binned pictures compare to S twenty two Ultra? Right, like the twelve megapixel original ones. They're good. Um, it's this is another situation where you're like you're really pixel peeping to like mm. check out the differences because it's like. They're they're nice, but like honestly, un- unless you're like it's your job, like it is for us, where like we're going and trying to like p- like look at tiny little aspects, you probably might not notice. Yeah. Okay, that's my new title now. My new job title: professional pixel peeper. 
Yeah, yeah, call yeah. Me, yeah. Call me a peeper. I like being a peeper, except for Sounds only like on professional. like the kind of thing you can get arrested for, to be honest. Yeah, so well, Matt, Matt, I wanted to... It was only a- pixels. Yeah, Matt, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit. It's like, you know, you had a chance to, like, go to the yeah. hands-ons and stuff like that. Is there? What do you think about, like, Samsung's kind of strategy with the S23 Ultra? Like, and, how, how are you, you thinking about it? And you have one of the phones. And you have yeah, an S23 got, so, Ultra, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except they gave me one, which is nice. Um, I really do like having the kind of um, flexibility of this mega camera. It's really weird that we're kind of repeating patterns of smartphones from eight years ago or so. Because this is exactly (laughs) what, what, um, oh God, HTC, when they did their HTC One phones Mm -hmm. and uh, Nokia PureView, all this pixel being stuff, that that kind of reached a peak back then. And now we're we're circling back around with even more megapixels. Mm -hmm. Um, But the zoom is absolutely incredible. Like when you're really cropping in with the 200 megapixel sensor, it really does work miracles. It's still um, one of my favorite lenses. It's my favorite lens on the phone. And I was like a little disappointed to see like no, no improvements um, on it. But that said, what you get is great. So it's like, you know, it's hard to complain too much about that. There's nothing that really comes close to it yet. Like either if some if some uh, other phones do like 10 times optical zoom, then often the sensor behind it is lacking. Like mm-hmm. Samsung has the best combination of the two yes, at the moment. Totally. On all, across all these phones. Um, so I really love that. Um, I've never been a long-term note user, so I'm seeing exactly how much I will take notes and stuff. I, I really love the kind of features it offers, but I could never quite square the size of the device and the price to kind of have that feature I might not use. Um, but yeah, like last year was the great, this is the note reborn year. So this year, pretty true across all the S23s. It's very yeah. much like... Yeah, we're just kind of biding our time a bit. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> we're doing S-year. foldables as well. Hey guys, yeah. have you seen our foldables? How about that? <laughs> yeah, and, and there's there's like a small part of me that wonders is like, you know, there were some like complaints like before about like smartphones getting boring, and it feels like in a in a small way, it, especially in terms of like the standard like brick glass brick phone, we may have reached like peak smartphone because like think mm-hmm. about it like. You know, maybe we'll get bigger sensors and maybe we'll get a little bit more optical zoom. But the form factor isn't really changing. The S Pen isn't really changing. Um, and so, like, that kind of leaves... And, and we kind of see this in the comments. You know, we get the comments all the time. It's like, yo, when's the when's the new Z Fold coming out? When's the new Z Flip coming out? And I think people <laughs> yeah. are, are... There's more excitement in the foldable space. And I think that's totally okay. Um, because what we have here in, like, the, the 23 Ultra is like, hey, this is peak flagship smartphone. Um, even if it's not a huge improvement over last year. And I think that's okay. Yeah, totally. And to put it also, Michael Caine put it really nicely in the chat. Uh, Michael Caine says, I've always felt that if you're a pixel peeper, then buy a real camera. Like at which point are we turning our phones into like full DSLR replacements? I mean, that was always kind of what they were saying when they started advancing their cameras on these phones. But maybe there is a point at which... You know, there's a limit. There's a limit yeah, to and, how, and, how and I make I make that point. I make that point in the review. We're talking about you know they brought on Ridley Scott and Nahang Jim to, Jin to talk about like you know hey we can make Hollywood grade short films with this phone and I I have no doubts about that. But at the same time, they have a director of photography, cinematographers, a whole camera crew, and they have like a camera. And even in Samsung's promos, they show the phone in like a big professional camera cage. They have like ex- uh, external mics, external lighting, you know, gimbals and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, you know, you can do all this stuff. And th- in the same way, you can use the new astrophotography mode to like, I'm sure you can get some really cool photos. But I didn't because I live in the city and, you know, mm. there's light pollution and like real oh, world God. stuff to, to deal with. 
And so if you're, you know, if you're the kind of person who's going to go drive out multiple hours to go take a stunning picture, like, you know, going out to Joshua Tree or whatever, you know, bring a real, don't bring a real camera. If you're investing that much into taking, you know, nice quality astrophotography shots, the, the S23 Ultra is a nice stand-in, but at some point you're going to realize the limits of this phone and you'll be like, hey, I'm going to need a real camera anyways. I did see a lot of people post pictures of the moon on Twitter. A lot of S23 Ultra reviewers, they're like, this is a picture with a 100x zoom of the moon. I'm like, all right, cool, good for you. Um, <laughs> I, I tried I taking like, pictures of the moon and it, yeah. it didn't, they didn't turn out that great. So I, you know, <laughs> I got to I gotta go back and spend some more time with that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's, we... It's, we yeah, go ahead. Just uh, like a, an add-on really of the Samsung stuff is when they were kind of pushing these, look at these cinematographers and what they're capable of doing with the Samsung phone. Like... Apple tried that sales pitch several several years yeah. ago, yeah. and that was what we, we had multiple years of like, hey, this shot on iPhone. It's like, okay, exactly. we get it. Like, yeah, yeah. Look at this disinterested uh, director who was famous in the eighties, and we paid him millions to endorse this camera with a lot of his own, you know, like you're saying, cranes, professionals, yeah. full lighting rig, yeah, to make this little short. It's um, yeah, mm -hmm. it's not even remotely realistic. Uh, last note, Lucky Dog Podcast in the chat says, time to give the iPhone arms and legs. That's how we will see our phones yes. evolve in the future and soon take over us. Uh, well, on that note, uh, let I think this should wrap up our phone chat segment. Clearly, a lot of phone news is going to come up at NWC. We will probably have you back soon to talk about it. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. So after we looked at some AI from Microsoft and Google, now it's time to talk about other news. And the first story is uh, another kind of issue where AI is kind of flubbing, kind of messing it up oh. here. So <laughs> uh, uh, there's a channel on Twitch called Endless Seinfeld, and they use a AI to kind of, um, you know, do a, a kind of spoof of uh, of classic Seinfeld episodes. Unfortunately, this one kind of got messed up because... You know, they were using ChatGPT to kind of source where the material came from. Um, however, during one of the stand-up bits, they were having an issue with the speed of ChatGPT. So they decided to downgrade to a less sophisticated model. It's the Curie model um, uh, that ChatGPT uses. It's not their, like, flagship AI model. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it started doing some transphobic and, you know, kind of making fun of uh, homophobic speech uh, jokes. And... Obviously, you know, the people caught it and the channel got shut down. It got banned for 14 days. But this is like kind of like a really good point of showing how this is the, the evolution of AI and AI chat conversation ability. Just because, you know, people created these things and they work and they can do some functions, but there's a lot of issues with them. And so, you know, part of the thing with ChatGPT's most recent model is that they they refuse to use uh, hate speech and you know, hate language as part of their um, AI programming. And so this is, you know, kind of the, you can see the evolution of the AI's functions and capabilities and their thought process in terms of being more ethical and responsible about how they present mm -hmm. information. Yeah, it's exactly what we were kind of closing out the last section thinking of, right? Where we were saying there's, we have to be responsible when designing AI. There's a way to design AI ethically as well. And, and, and this just goes to show like the many, many layers that are necessary to that conversation. So anyway, again, it's clear that we need to pay more attention to AI. It's just really, really, uh, the train's just gaining speed here. We're going to have to follow it. Now, um, Google 
is one of the big companies in AI, but this week was all like, yo, we don't care. We want to tell you a lot of other news too. We're like, look, here's here's some search news. Here's some maps news. Here's some AI news. Also, hey, Android 14. Developer it's only preview. February. Yeah, but we're getting the first developer preview of Android 14. Obviously, with the first developer preview, you don't generally get like uh, a lot of heads up about what actual new features are coming. Um, but this time around, with this developer preview, we can see that the focus is on uh, improving or having more inclusive language be part of like um, the available toolkits for developers, as well as the ability to hit a bigger uh, maximum font size. So that's good for people who have low vision, who want to be able to magnify or, or just use bigger fonts for when they're using their phones. Um, so it also can do other things like block users from sideloading apps that are way too old, which I think is pretty bad news for me because we run on our, one of our battery test apps. It's a very old app that we sideload. An another reason to update our, our testing regime. We, yeah, we really need to. We should. Um, so yeah, so the, the fonts thing, you can scale them to a much larger size. You can scale them 200% now as uh, well with the Android 14 developer preview versus the earlier 130%. Um, and then it's easier to set preferred languages for apps and developers can be more accommodating to people who speak gender languages and, and allow them to use like inclusive languages in those gender languages. So there you go. Um, and then we want to... Like I said, there's so much news that happened this week. Sam, did you watch Nintendo Direct? Uh, I watched part of it. Uh, there's more info on uh, the next sequel to Breath of the Wild, so that's uh, really exciting. Uh, the Metroid, there's a remaster for Metroid Prime Trilogy, which is out now. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, obviously, coverage is on the site, so we're you know there's too much stuff to you know really go deep into. Yeah, Canon also announced a $680 EOS. R50 camera, which is the most affordable RF uh, camera yet. Uh, also, Netflix launched its uh, password sharing limitation things in Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain. So you might, if you're one of, in one of those countries, you might have been seeing the alerts that say, yeah, uh, your household is your physical location. You can't like, yeah, whatever. Uh, and uh, <laughs> But it seemed like earlier this week, Netflix had been wavering on this cracking down on US-based password sharing. Yeah, so it seems like they walked back that the, the plan to roll out the password sharing blocking um, you know, they removed that language from one of their facts on their site. So I think they're still working on it, but it's unclear exactly when this is going to happen. So it seems like at the very least, outside of the U.S., a few companies, uh, a few companies, a few countries are already seeing this happen. Uh, speaking of streaming, Disney Plus and its uh, earnings report or, or earnings release this year, uh, this quarter, Shared, it lost 2.4 million subscriptions, and it is the first subscriber loss ever for the company, or at least for the streaming service, which is like Disney Plus was the upstart, right? The late to the game, but everybody yeah, started but subscribing. I think, so I think they already have numbers. over 100 million subs, so this is not a huge loss for them. But, you know, it kind of points to the fact that, you know, the streaming wars are very much still going on. And yeah. Disney in general has uh, has really hasn't been able to profit on Disney Plus and so they're doing a big restructuring in terms of their financials and their you know uh, capex expenditure and and all that yeah. so we'll see how that shift affects Disney going forward and is planning to lay off 7000 people uh 7000 of its workers which is i i mean i guess I, I, I'm trying to figure out like which uh, segment we're talking about in terms of these layoffs. Where are they going to be uh, coming from? It just says the um, it's 
planning a significant restructuring, including job cuts. The layoffs will affect 7,000 employees. The company froze new hiring in November. It doesn't share exactly what departments these uh, layoffs are going to, you know, affect. But, you know, that's that's not great news. And it's also following a trend that we've been seeing in tech uh, so far. Um, hey, speaking of uh, dumpster fires, Twitter... This week, too, was like, there's no rest for the weary, right? The Twitter was like, poor Carissa had to be like following all this news. It said earlier, uh, late last week or early this week, that it was going to charge for API access, which then caused a cascade of issues um, because it didn't realize that the API that it was allowing people to use was similar to, was the same one that powered a lot of different programs and software out there. Right. So, so when um, they turned off API access, they turned off API access for Twitter main as well. Yeah. And so <laughs> yesterday, uh, including me, people were getting messages like, hey, you can't tweet because you're over the tweet limit. And the tweet limit is like 2,400 uh, 2, tweets a day. So I Whoa. tweet I tweet like you once, maybe twice a week. And so I was like, yeah. I would do my once a week tweet and... I couldn't do it. I'm like, oh, this just doesn't make any sense. And there's some other issues like DMs. You couldn't pull up your DMs uh, and people weren't able to follow each other. And so there was just a whole host of issues. They were able to fix the tweeting itself issue relatively quickly. But things things are just uh, clearly a mess inside inside Twitter. Yeah. Uh, part of the issue of wanting to charge for API access uh, was that Twitter said it wanted to kind of, I guess, minimize bots um, on on the site and improve the quality of the platform. Uh, but then a few days ago, it, it kind of changed tack again and said, yeah, uh, no, 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 we'll keep the API access free for the good bots. What are good bots? Like, how are they determining but what th- this But this has are? been the story of the new Elon-led, uh, Elon-led Twitter where, hey, it's like, well, we're going to do this thing. And then we're just like, oh, this is a bad idea. We have now have to walk. It's like when they, you know, started charging for the check marks and they're like, suddenly you had people impersonating companies and, you know, big name uh, yep. celebrities. I was like, oh, now we got to walk that back. And then Elon's whole message when he was buying Twitter was like, oh, we want to encourage free speech. Okay, but then you shut down the the Elon Jet guy, and yep. so like uh, clearly this is like that's not okay. But we still want to encourage free speech, and yeah. oh hey, you know we want to cut down on bots, but oh some of the bots made Twitter funny, and, and we got want to you know want to bring those back. Clearly, <laughs> n- not a, a lot of great strate- uh, strategizing or uh, planning going on in Twitter right now. Uh, yeah, and we, we yeah. you know we're feeling we're feeling the effects on a day to day basis. And to bring those two points together, KP in the chat says, Elon Jet is a good bot. Like, that's a good bot that should get the API access, the mm-hmm. Elon Jet, but no. Um, so yeah, no, like we said over and over, it's been a strangely busy week in at the start of February, and we're, we're going to try to um, get some rest this weekend. <laughs> Speaking of uh, interesting new stuff that's, you know, another yet big thing that's happening this week, uh, I guess we're moving to Around and Gadget now is the new Harry Potter hog, uh, game Hogwarts Legacy came out and it broke records on Twitch for the most viewed single player game on Twitch ever uh yesterday uh, on February 7th at 1.3 million viewers. Um, that is wild. Um I I've heard a lot of good things about this game. Uh I think I Jess uh our our senior writer Jess Condit also wrote a piece and she published a piece earlier this week uh explaining why she decided to do the review at all. I know that this game is mired in controversy. And any any part of the Harry Potter franchise has been mired in controversy. And I do want to say that like you should read her article. I think it ju- like explains very clearly um Jess's stand. Um 
no one is disagreeing that J.K. Rowling is a transphobic, awful, awful person. Um, but there are there are uh, discussions to be had around how we separate art from the artist, or you know, the question question the ownership or or the feelings of belonging you can feel to a fandom and a community without necessarily contributing to a person that started right. the or, 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 or right the, the, the personal views or opinions of the original creator and it's really interesting because by all accounts i you know i haven't played this game yet but by all accounts everyone's loving the game the review scores have been really high and people are really enjoying it and they say like you know it really delivers on what people have wanted from a harry potter video game for so long and it you know it really does a good job of transitioning from the movie series to a video game series, which is something that's like not actually, you know, we've seen so many things flop when it comes to, hey, we're going to try to adapt a video game for a movie. But it seems like they did a good job with this one. Unfortunately, you know, because of those issues with J.K. Rowling, you know, it's it's harder to get into than than people, you know, you might think otherwise. Yeah. Also around Engadget this week, Roberto Baldwin, uh, one of our coworkers, got a hands-on with the Mercedes e-sprinter. Robbie's videos are always a fun time to, uh, you know, go check it out on the Engadget YouTube channel. It looks like a really cool-looking electric van with some, like, colorful paint on it. Um, if you're into van- vans, van life, hashtag van life, baby, uh, go check it out. Yeah, and I think I think the e-sprinter the is really cool just for the simple fact that Hey, it's basically the same thing as the gas e-sprinter. You know, everything, the, the dimensions are very similar, but, you know, now you can have a big battery. It's over 100 kilowatt hours. And so, you know, talk about people, you, know, you want to, you know, travel around the country in your van. You can do that, you know, in a more, you know, a greener way while still being able to have a lot of the accessories and stuff work on this new vehicle. All right, moving on to what we are working on. I am back to review mode, I guess. I received the Amazon Halo Rise. If you recall, it was announced last October. It took this long for the company to ship it out. This is the uh, bedside sleep detecting device without a camera. It's also kind of a bedside lamp, and I, I need one of those. So this is... <laughs> This is great. I've moved into a new place, don't have a bedside lamp. So I'm just like, great. Did you get curtains um, yet? <laughs> Not for my living room. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> a lot of a lot of. I'm also working on my personal life, so there we go. How about you, Sam? What are you working on? Uh, <clears throat> now that the uh, S23 Ultra review is out the door, I'm moving back to the uh, PlayStation uh, DualSense Edge controller, and there's a bunch of new um, laptops coming out uh, featuring Nvidia's latest uh, lap mobile RTX 40 series cards. So expect a bunch of laptop reviews, uh, you know, in the near near future. When we were talking about how we need to take a break, and uh, this is usually the best segue into our Engadget picks, uh, and this time is Engadget pop culture picks, I, for this week, I'm going to suggest people watch Junji Ito's Maniac on Netflix. It is t- Japanese Tales of the Macabre. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Sam. I see you're nodding. I, I have not seen this, but uh, Junji Ito's Holes is one of the most yeah. terrifying uh comics i've ever read and like that that comic will just like lives rent free in my mind all the time because every once in a while i'll think about it's like oh man i'll just like like get the shakes like oh (laughs) so junji ito has has a very like unique style and so you gotta like you sometimes i feel like i gotta like mentally prepare myself to like engage with his content but um yeah yeah, uh, i mean 
so weird. It's so in like so okay. So Junji Ito's Maniac is just like a series of like I don't know even like fifteen to thirty minute episodes of like stories of weird shit. It's just this really weird. Um, I I won't spoil any of it for you because I feel like just explaining anything really gets like strange. But just to describe for you what we're seeing on our live stream right now is one of the pictures uh, that's promoting this show. It's just heads floating, you know. Heads that are gray green. One of them is smiling. She's got a ribbon on her head. She's just floating. There's bodies in the background floating too. I mean, that's the kind of thing to expect. Now, this is right up my alley. This is the sort of anime I watch. I know a lot of people are like, oh, anime is so great. I'm like, I don't like to watch One Piece. I don't want to watch this shit. But Junji Ito Maniac, that's me. I'm like Pesha Pop Horror. You, you like your, your horror, horror, your macabre, creepy uh, yeah. anime. Exactly. So if you that if you're like me, and that's the sort. Of, I know it's not Halloween or spooky season, but any time can be spooky season if you're, if if you're a weird, sick, twisted person like me. Sam, you're not a weird, sick, twisted person. What are you watching? Um, I'm watching Poker Face, and uh, you know, I want to give a shout out to our uh, one of our video producers, uh, Luke Brooks, who we we were kind of talking about this. We we both watched the first episode, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm hooked already. So did you watch it together? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> Sherlyn, you want you want to come over and we can have a big group watch party? Hell yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So. And, and so the, the, the general premise of the show is that the uh, main actress who is played by Natasha Lyonne, I believe, um, she can't lie. Or I mean, she can always figure out when someone's lying. Um, mm. And it's it's not like necessarily a superpower. She just like has, you know, like, you know, a, a f- the ability to like, you know, read people's faces and, you know, speech patterns. And so, you know, the show starts out and she... Uh, the origin is she used this to get really good at poker, but then she got caught. And so now it's about how that is, you know, impacting how her life is going to be um, and then kind of go from there. I don't want to spoil it um, because the the first mm-hmm. episode is jam-packed and the cast is great. So we have Natasha Lyonne. Um, mm. We have Adrian Brody, uh, Benjamin Bratt. Mm. Um, a really, wow. really good cast. Um, I think Ron, Ron Perlman's in it, although he wasn't in the first episode. Um, so surprisingly good cast, and uh, it is on Peacock, which I know is not the most people's most favorite platform. But the first episode is free, so if you want to, you know, download the app and watch the first episode, at least get a sense of it and decide, you know, what you want to do before if you want to continue the series later. You can do that for free, so it's not, you know, there is a trial. You don't have to like pay for it right off the uh, right off the bat. Uh, I'll wait for it to come out of Peacock. Uh, our <laughs> our <laughs> live stream producer Julio Barrientos does point out that low key Peacock is better than Netflix at the moment, in his wow. opinion, which is not wrong considering everything that's going wrong at Netflix right now. But um, I, I I still will wait for Poker Face to go to another platform, maybe Hulu. Let's see. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sam online at... At Sam Rutherford on Twitter and as always on Engadget.com. If you want to send me more gruesome looking anime but keep it PG-13, I am at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review please on iTunes and, you know, anything that gets podcasts. And subscribe also on anything that gets podcasts. which is incredible.